Welcome to Showcase Chicago Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Reyes, a Chicagoland realtor with ARE Partners. And in this podcast, we delve into the heart of all things Chicago, real estate, and life as we engage in authentic conversations about some of the most significant decisions we make. In today's episode, I'm delighted to introduce you to Danny Salgado, a seasoned independent real estate investor and a valued past and current client. Danny Salgado brings a wealth of experience to the table, making him an ideal guest for our show. With a successful track record as a real estate investor, Danny's insights are invaluable for anyone interested in the industry. Danny, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. All right, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> I appreciate it. We're going to just jump right in. I think the first thing I'd like to do is how did we meet and how did we start our working relationship? You were the representing a seller. Yes. Yes. That's how it, we met, yes. Yes. Got a property in Cicero, Illinois. Um, and that particular property, he, I obviously had the listing and it was property. I don't know how much you know about that deal, but I actually lost the contract on that property three times. I remember someone saying, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. Why got, uh, that's why I got a great deal off of it. <laughs> well, but I might find my, uh, my sellers are probably listening to this. <laughs> well, I mean, in that situation though, my sellers were also buying. And okay. so losing um, a contract on that property was significant because they weren't going to be able to buy the property we're already under contract with if they didn't get that property sold. That's so uh, in less than four or five days each time I got that property in the contract. So thank you for buying it. We made that happen. Tell us about you and how you got started in real estate investing. Let's start, yeah, let's start from the beginning. Let's how did you get into this? Let's start. Uh, yeah. Well, it started about 20, a little bit over, let's say 20 years ago. Uh, I was a young, you know, ambitious person. I, my first year of that transaction was very low as far as uh, the price. I think that, that property was only purchased for 80,000. I stuck maybe 10,000 into it and eight months later I sold it for 180, so I was hooked. Wow. I was hooked off the first one. But did you, what were you doing uh, career-wise before you got into this? Uh, nothing, I was actually, my dad was used to flip homes and he let me in, I was 21, I believe, 20 or 21. Got it. He let me in because I had saved money. I was working, at that time I was in college, I was working at Home Depot. So I knew a little bit of it, you know, the other side of the industry. Yeah. He let me in on the first one and that's kind of how I took off. Well, we initially started doing together. So once the first flip was successful, I made my money, we split it. Yeah. And then we got one together, one together. And after I would say about 10 of them, I kind of, you know, he kind of started getting older. So I kind of ventured off by myself. But always having his mentorship and his of course, oh yes, yeah, but you wouldn't have gotten started had it not been that he kind probably of, not. How many transactions did he do before you got into it? If I remember correctly, I would say about seven or eight, and I remember you know it was sporadically because I used to be his laborer, his free laborer in high school and in college. Well, that's what you do, right? Yes. You get your kids to work for you for low cost or no cost. Correct. <laughs> no, that's true, and I. Hated it back then, but I, I appreciate it now because I learned everything. Yeah, that's interesting. So you've really been investing since we were very young. I didn't yeah. realize that. So as much of this conversation is me learning about you as well, because I didn't know that information. And so you started doing that at 21, and then you did a $80,000 purchase, sold it for $180,000. You turned a profit, and then what type of investor are you? Are you mostly a fix and flip? or buy and hold, or what's your experience on that? So throughout all these years, it's been fix and flip. Okay. Up until recently, and then we'll touch. Yeah, we're gonna to touch base on that. <laughs> no, it's it's been a fix and flip. 
Always fix and flip. Always flip, fix and flip. Yeah. And okay. So that's really interesting. I think that there's a lot of people out there who are like, how do I get started in becoming a fix and flip investor? Obviously, you had your father kind of giving you the support in the beginning, but in a new investor, how would you say they should get started in doing that kind of work? Or kind of that kind of investment, I would say. What would be your recommendation so, on that? That's a great question. So I have a lot of friends that want to get into it. Obviously, if it was that easy, everybody would be doing it. It does take time. It does take experience and you know ups and downs. But what I would say, you don't need a lot of money to get started. Okay. Okay. That's helpful. Yeah. You there's I've I've heard of programs for you know new buyers. Which if I were to do it all over again without knowing what I know, mm -hmm. I would buy a three unit building as my primary home to get the lower interest rate mm -hmm. as a homeowner. Fix it up, rent the other two units, get passive income, and live for free. Yes, I actually talk to a lot of people who are like, "Oh, I want to buy a condo or, or uh, you know, a single-family home." I'm like, "Well, your your approval may not be as much because you um, you're using as your primary residence, it's just a single unit. But if you buy a two or three flat, you can get those three or five percent down payments." Oh, as an owner-occupied property, and then you get your first investment that way, you're renting it out, you're bringing income, and they use a portion of the rental income to approve for the mortgage, so you get approved for more. Correct, so that's what I would definitely recommend. I tell my young cousins, start buying now, and do it this way. Yeah. Way you don't need a lot. So let's say they, they buy a three unit, even let's go say they go high, 400,000. Yeah. 400 at 3%, all you need is $12,000. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. You know, that's not a lot of money. That's a part-time job for you know some somebody young. One thing I love about how quickly working my investors, I love how quickly you guys crunch your numbers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> give them ads. Numbers don't lie. Numbers yeah, do not lie. That's the difference between when I work with my investor clients and working with like a first-time home buyer or just someone who's looking for their primary residence. Like investors, like they think it through pretty quickly. They crunch numbers in their head. Like let's let's make this happen. Exactly. Location, and then I do the numbers. If the numbers work, and I know there's potential down the line to make a good profit, then, you know, it's an easy, it's, it's an easy, easy decision. Things. Yeah. Even when we bought, so I think this is a really good segue into when we worked together on your most recent purchase, which by the way, I was on vacation in Florida when I put that in. Yes. I remember that. I remember that. Yes. So just so you know, whether I'm in Florida, at the beach, I'm going to be answering calls and making deals happen. And he did, yes. And I did. So it was, I really love the story. So I'll set up the storyline. It was a two-flat property um, next to Midway, and it was listed for two seventy-five, dollars Which was way below market value. Way, way below. below. It was intentionally yeah. priced low to attract buyers. Yeah. So my thought is the realtor who listed it for them knew that they could bring, the market was pretty pretty mm -hmm. solid and hot during that time. So I, I believe she knew that by lowering it or going under market value, she would probably generate a lot of activity. The bidder over, over, over asking. I also think that a reason why she priced it that way as well was because it was tenant occupied and they were having challenges with the tenants. Correct. Yes. And so they wanted to make sure they get as many people because they were ultimately trying to sell the tenants with it. Correct. Yes. Right? Okay. Yep. So uh, we found this two flat. He went to the open house. We're negotiating. Tell us about that deal overall. Like, I came to the, it was an open house. There was no appointments. It was an open house. I came to look at it and there was literally at least 80 people waiting in line, like a just a revolving door waiting to go see it. It's crazy. For a second, I said, it's not even worth it. There's so many people. But I was with my dad who said, no, let's, it's moving fast. Let's just take a peek at it. I took a peek at it. It definitely had potential. I knew it wasn't going to go for 275. I knew that. 
Um, and that's kind of what we're like, let's make an offer, you know? Yeah, you yeah. Know. You never know, you never know. And um, we did make an offer pretty quickly. We offered uh, 305. Correct. Okay. And then I got back from Florida and I think the negotiations took a couple of days and I had came back and where I was in the dentist when I was negotiating the rest of this deal. <laughs> <laughs> and I got, I actually told my dentist, I have to take this call. And uh, I got a call from the listing agent and she was telling me she has multiple offers. Multiple. Multiple. Obviously with 80 people lined up, there's going to be multiple offers. Uh, and I had somewhere upwards of 10 to 12 offers. I think she said she had at the time. Correct. She did disclose to me that the highest offer at the time was 350. And our offer was 305. The biggest challenge, and back to what I was saying earlier, was that nobody wanted to accept the tenants for that property. Correct. And so ultimately, I was able to tell them, well, we discussed it, and I said, listen, you know, it's a gamble. You never know how tenants are going to be. Uh, we obviously plan out a strategy and how you work with those tenants if you took it, but it's still a huge bargain, right? From 350 to 305, great deal. Yes, because <laughs> I did the research on, on, on the location of the building. The, at the time, I think in its condition, which it wasn't a teardown, it was, a, it was no. just, it needed some tender love and care. But at the time, I would have honestly, somebody would have paid about four and a quarter for it, give or take, at the time. So, yeah, and so then we ended up, you know, negotiating. We beat out all those other offers. We got it for 305. Uh, again, highest at the time was 350. So, 45,000 less than the highest bid. But you took the risk of taking on the tenants. Yeah, I was the only one that agreed. The only one that out agreed. Of, I, she, I, she, I, at closing, um, one of the ladies, I think it was a, I don't know if it was a realtor or a turn of the attorney, said she ended up getting over 20 offers. Highest was three sixty cash. Oh, I didn't as well. You didn't tell me that. Yeah, three hundred sixty thousand cash, um, but nobody wanted to take the, the risk, yeah. and I was a little hesitant because I never bought a property with tenant, and I knew to victim or to you know to get get them ready to find another location was going to be hard. But and then that's the challenge. That was our conversation. It was like, okay, so if we think about the numbers, if you have to go through the eviction process, and at the time you really couldn't evict people because of the COVID. Correct. Correct. <laughs> I even said even if it takes a year, it's still a good... It's still a good calculated risk. Exactly. And I remember telling you too, like, you know, you never know, you know, you don't necessarily need to throw money at them, but start with conversating to Go try ahead. and get them out. So you ultimately purchased the property at 305 and, and then how did that tenant situation end up panning out for you? So luckily I was, I was a nice guy as I am obviously, but um, I asked them that, you know, if they were going to leave and they said, yes, they were looking, but they weren't very motivated to start looking. It was more of a, I'll, start looking when I get the chance. But after the second month, you know, I said, listen, if you guys um, can move out because I want to start working in the building. Luckily, they did what they had to do. They found places to live, which is great. I didn't yeah. have to evict them. I even helped, I offered to help them move out, move moving trucks and all, but- Did you end up actually hiring the moving trucks? No, um, I offered, but they ended up moving out on their own accord, both of them at the same time, which was great. And then one of the things we had thought about was maybe offering them a thousand or two thousand dollars to move out, but you didn't have to do that. I had thought about, you know, maybe paying their first rent somewhere else, first month's rent somewhere else or their deposit. I would have done it, but you know, like I said, luckily it worked out quicker than I anticipated. Yeah. I think that's one of the things and I remember saying very uh, vividly saying like, it's all how you talk to people. You know, whether it's tenants, you know, that's even negotiating, 
right? It's not just the numbers, clearly. Correct. It's also who you're talking to, how you talk to people, uh, the rapport you build with, uh, with all parties involved. And in this situation, you know, he ended up making a killing because he got these tenants out in less than two months. And what did you turn that property into? So initially, it was a, a usual fix and flip. Okay. Um, but as I was working on the property, I met a, a, a bunch of uh, flight attendants that needed places to stay. So I ended up not selling it, keeping it, and now it's rented out to flight attendants. So it's a buy and hold property for you. And is it your first buy and hold property? No, it's not my first okay. one. Uh, oh, because you had the one in the suburbs. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so it's, it's actually a crash pad. It's literally like four doors away from the airport in Midway. Correct. And it is, it's really gold mine. I'm not sure how much you want to disclose on the numbers or, <laughs> and you don't have to if you don't feel comfortable, but if you feel comfortable, feel free. But uh, what, what would you say in terms of like the experience of finding flight attendants and how this whole thing is kind of for you? So what I'd say is as far as renting, renting a conventional way, it's probably about one and a half times more than what the market value would probably mm -hmm. attract probably per unit. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And you currently have, so it's uh, the first, it's the first and second floor is a two flat and it's a three bedroom unit and then there's a basement unit as well. And so you have how many flight attendants in each unit? So there's 12 uh, flight attendants, but they're not there at the same time. They have the rotation pretty much. Um, they love it. I'm happy with them. They're clean. They're wonderful tenants, to be honest with you. I, I've had no major issues at all. And uh, I'm providing them with somewhere to stay. Yeah. And, you know, I'm providing myself with a little bit of passive income. Yeah. Well, it's a great income on this particular property. I won't, he won't give numbers out here, <laughs> but I'll just say that. Let's just say he's doing really good on this one. And uh, I'm glad that we got it for a great price. You took the tenant and it all worked out in your favor. And then, even though I didn't represent him in this sale, <laughs> it would have, it could have, it, it should have panned out, but it didn't. However, we are currently recording this podcast episode in uh, a similar property that was literally next door. And uh, you just bought this property. Tell us about that experience and yeah, what, yes. are, what are you doing here? So this one I purchased in, was it February of, tw of this year, of this 2023. Year and same, same exact thing. We're doing the whole gut remodel for the most part, all new plumbing, electrical, HVAC systems. Uh, my intention now is to also convert it into a crash pad, a crash pad for the flight attendants who, you know. Yeah, it. yeah, absolutely. And like, again, this, this particular block has turned into such a great, oh, <laughs> great yeah, for you. Yes. I mean, it's, it's just like the building I sold you, then this one, it's like the exact same floor plan. Now he has two crash pads next to Midway and he'll ultimately hold on to these as a part of his portfolio. Uh, and then hopefully we'll buy something else together soon. Yes. <laughs> just not. <laughs> It was a owner to owner transaction. It was an off market transaction. It was, off -market yeah, transaction. It was off market. So, had it not been, and Michael would have been my guy. He's, no, he's I appreciate the best. that. Yeah. I mean, it's really next door, so it's fine. I, you know, it happens. <laughs> it, it, it is what it is. So, uh, no, I'm glad. I'm happy for you. At the end of the day, Thank I know you. that there's other deals we put together here, and we're going to work together, and it's going to be oh, great. Congratulations on this, Thank too. You. Thank you. Uh, Okay, let's talk about some of like your the challenges you've faced as an investor and how you overcame them. What were some of like the biggest significant challenges you had, maybe starting out versus now, and how did you overcome them? And I don't know. There's a, there's always there's always challenges okay. up until now. And the thing is, through the experience, twenty years, I've learned to adapt. And now, anything that 
comes my way, it's 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 a little it's easily handled. Okay. As opposed to starting at the beginning. Say the plumbing is a big issue mm. before money, you know, starting off money was a little tighter. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't as easy to fix something as opposed to now where you know what, let's get it squared away, fix it, brand new, yeah. move on. Absolutely. And when someone is starting to do a fix and flip, what would you allocate like I don't know if you budget how you budget for these things. They do a 20% reserve or anything like that, or, or maybe for someone starting out, how would you recommend they budget for the project? Oh, that's a great question. So the way <laughs> I would recommend it's probably yeah. not the way I do it, but the way I would probably recommend somebody starting off is, well, always make a, you know, have a budget, but assume you're going to go over it. Unfortunately, oh, it, that's, right? it just seems that's what always happens. I don't care if it's 20 or a hundred thousand, never seems that you can keep it at or under. So I would say don't overspend on the location as far as the neighborhood, what the console goes. So okay. know that you buy a $200,000 home, you stick $50,000 home, it's going to be worth at least three three fifty dollars mm-hmm. to make it worth your mm-hmm. while. Mm-hmm. So that's what I, that's what definitely be important. Yeah. And then would you say it's like if you're doing a hundred thousand dollar renovation, you put a ten percent reserve, a twenty percent reserve, or you just kind of wing it and see how? It I personally just wing it. Okay. But yeah, you, I would say about a twenty percent reserve would be great just to have, you know. Okay. And and for me, I love Excel spreadsheets, and so I, <laughs> I'm all about putting things on a spreadsheet and like, okay, we're gonna put a twenty percent reserve and really look at the numbers. But it's also I'm a very data driven broker, so even when we make offers and like he's a season investor and he knows the neighborhood he's buying in. I always still pull comps and I send you, okay, here are the active comps. Here's what's closed. And, you know, just so that we all have a clear picture on what's happening in the market. So I, you know, I know that you use, actually, I just told this to someone in an email, how much of it is luck and how much of it is um, strategy as an investor. Luck has a lot to to do with it as well. Yes. If you can get lucky and get it off market or, you know, get it before anybody, you know. I don't support off-market deals, by <laughs> no, the way. No, 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 no. <laughs> if it does, if it does, um, you know, try to get it as low as possible. Whether you get it off-market or market just yeah. try to get it as fast and as low as possible. Yeah, that makes sense. That way you're not competing. With and I'm totally people. joking about not like off-market deals. <laughs> I actually have done a lot of off-market transactions and I've, I found the, the sellers and I have a particular buyer. In, in most cases, when I have a particular buyer who's looking for something very specific, and then what I do is I engage the seller directly and then I negotiate my commission. Oh, which is great. Okay. So it's, you know, if I find it for sale by owner or something completely off market for a particular buyer that I'm not, you know, fibbing that I don't have a buyer. If I have a buyer, I'm going to find a property for them, a property for them. Uh, so that's how we can work those deals to see. <laughs> what um, educational avenues or like books or seminars or is there any like knowledge based things you would recommend for people who are just starting out in this? You know, good question. Uh, I personally wasn't a big book reader as far as that. It was kind of more trial and error. Okay. I had a little advantage because my dad had gone through it a little bit more. So, you know, I learned from him what to do or what not to do. Mm-hmm. Kind of learned from his mistakes initially and then kind of learned from my own mistakes as well. I mean, here's the thing about that. It's like hard not life teach you the best lessons. You know, yeah, exactly. they're never going to teach you all the things they can teach you in school. It's learning in real world situations. Um, however, to that breath, I will also say one of my favorite investor um, avenues is Bigger Pockets. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of it. I've heard of it. it. Yeah, I've heard yeah. of it. They have a great website, a ton of resources for buy and hold as well as flip resources. 
tons of spreadsheets, books, podcasts. I mean, you name it. There's so much uh, knowledge um, that I recommend. So if anyone's looking for a good resource for investing on how to get started, Bigger Pockets is a really great resource. When finding good help, how do you go about finding good contractors? How do you vet them? Uh, you know, what's your process for finding good support? Okay. Uh, well, the, for the most part, all the people I've, that work for me have been working with me mm. for quite a year. So the way I do it is I have two sets, for the most part, at least two sets of plumbers, two sets of electricians, two sets of HVAC guys, because sometimes they're busy. Mm. So, and obviously they have different prices. Mm -hmm. They can get different different quotes, different. So I like to have at least two, if not more, if you can have three, but I, for the most part, I have two trusted of everything. Okay. And we have been working together for years now. So it's kind of, they know what they're doing. I know the type of work they do. I know that they do great work. Mm -hmm. um, for the most part, I'm, I don't want to call myself a general contractor per se. I'm more of a project manager at this point. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I'm kind of more running behind the scenes or not even behind the scenes, but you know, as opposed to me doing 80% of the work like I used to. Mm -hmm. Now I'm kind of doing maybe 10 to 20% of the work. Mm -hmm. Not because, you know, it's time. It's the time. Yeah, of course, right? I mean, the busier you are, the longer you've been doing something that you're going to need to, you know, branch out and have people support you. In that. Correct. So, yeah. Correct. I mean, I'll get my hands dirty still, and I still do, but it's not as much as I used to because it just moves quicker with having, you know, more people with you know, we're also getting you. older and our bodies are <laughs> yeah, <I'm> lazier. <laughs> I wouldn't call that lazy. I think you're being smarter with your there energy. You there you go. There's no need to disperse as much energy anymore when you can hire someone half your age and, and you can do those things. I think also, uh, you know, it's great to have those two and three uh, people in your, in your back pocket, but you have to start with, you know, taking a risk at some point, right? Totally. And maybe, you know, vetting them or going to see some of their current prop, their, their past projects or calling some of their past uh, clients. Uh, to get a good reference and see if maybe that's a good avenue I would recommend for someone just maybe looking for a contractor now. Well, that, that's a good, so a good point for that is as a new uh, investor, as a new uh, buyer, you have to kind of have a general idea of what it would cost to fix whatever it is. Okay. And obviously nowadays it's easy to, you know, find what the square footage to paint a house is online. So you have to know because the prices will come in from as low to as high, and there has to be, you know, a medium. I, yeah, I agree with that. It's funny, I was just having a conversation with someone who was looking at a property that was, uh, they did a $90,000 renovation in a like 1,200 square foot condo. Wow. And um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money for a 1,200 square foot condo. Yeah, and I, and I, I was telling this, so this is a particular uh, new investor client of mine who was no longer living in the city of Chicago, but they were looking at this property like, wow, they've spent $90,000 and they're only getting this much uh, profit at the end of this. Like, but, and I told, her, told them in this email that that person was probably renovating it to their liking and not as an investor. Exactly. You know what I mean? Looking and crunching the numbers and shopping around and getting the best price and and you know making sure you're you're doing it for resale, right? Yeah, correct. You know they're probably they're spending ninety thousand dollars. I told I told them in the email you probably could have spent you know forty thousand dollars. Yeah, ninety thousand. That's a good amount for that. that for amount a of space. Yeah, yeah, it, it was. And I want to say it was only a two bedroom, one bath. Wow. Yeah, I mean, granted it wasn't the West Loop, but still overspent, no question. So um, that actually leads me to a good question to ask, which is sourcing materials. How and obviously weighing like 
high end versus you know mid grade mid mid range like how do you balance that out in terms of finishes so but me personally when i first started it was whatever was cheapest mm. i've completely gone away from that so oh that's good now it's minimum medium to higher end but again you have to know how high to go mm-hmm. as far as the high end but at least uh you know medium medium range material you don't want to go cheap you do not want to go cheap i always tell people it's going to cost you the same amount of money for labor to do a bathroom you might save a couple hundred bucks on the material but the labor will be the same so why not just spend a little bit more for quality and it's going to last you longer. it's going to last longer exactly and then you're not having to redo it in five years versus 10 years or 20 years whatever it's going to be the like the longevity of it uh that's a really good question thank you for sharing that that's actually really good you know and i always tell people who are doing you know clients are looking to do a bathroom like really shop around get at least three quotes especially if you're not a seasoned like an investor you know ask your realtor who who are their connections where i have a lot of good contractors i work with obviously good investors and people who do flips and flips all the time so i have a question for you that's kind of you know for me anyways, but what is it about working with me that made you want to continue working with me? Honestly, for me, your character, your, I mean, your personality, 100%. But along with that, I love that you drop, it seems, you might not do it, but it, I feel like you drop everything for me. I mean, you're there, when I call, if you can't answer, you will call me back as soon as possible. It's, so that's how we've gotten deals. Mm-hmm. We're, we're the first ones to, 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 to get an offer or something, but that's, for me, that's what it was, honestly. Oh, that's awesome. I appreciate that. And that's one thing, like, you know, you can always answer a call. I have people that I can work with. If I can't do a showing in person, I will send someone for me. If I'm on, in, on vacation in Florida and there's an open house, I'm going to write up that offer from the beach. <laughs> How many times have I called you that same day? Within hours, we've seen a property. Oh, which absolutely. I love, because, I've worked with other people in the past and I get it. Everybody's busy. We're all busy. But, you know, you lose, you lose deals that way. Yes. Time. So that is, that is honestly one of the, the best things about that. you. Yeah. And that's good. And I, I always want my clients to feel like um, they're my only client. Exactly. Yeah. That's I certainly like something that, that I, uh, I, I am very proactive about. I, my response time is something I work significantly for. I always like to be 10 minutes early. Like those are the things that I feel like are the foundation of my business. Yeah. yeah. Everybody I know that's young, I, I just say start with real estate. Start mm-hmm. buying as soon as you can. Mm-hmm. So, because the market will go up and down, but it's like a roller coaster, but eventually it's going to go higher than, than lower. Yeah. So I, and that's actually a great question to segue into what's happening in the market right now where people, sellers aren't selling because they've locked in these rates at three and 4%. Yep. We, ha- we still have a ton of buyers and we're still in multiple offer situations, you know, but we're, we have no inventory. That's you, you know what I mean? So it's, it's a really challenge. And so, you know, markets come up and down and how, you know, to ride those waves and understand that it's the long term, right? At least, is that your perception that yeah, you have to ride it out and not not get scared and long term? Whether it takes what 2008, when it took a good what at least seven mm-hmm. years, give or take maybe more. If you know people lost money, I get it. But if you wrote it out and just hung tight, you were gonna come out. You came out on top. You mm-hmm. did. And you got to change with the market, right? Obviously, your 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 investment decisions would have been different in two thousand eight versus now. But at the same time, if you had if you were on the upper hand, you were able to buy a ton of properties in two thousand. I wish I had way more money back then mm. than now because 
I would have scooped up as much as I could back then. Yeah. But also knowing, like, you just found this property off market, so knowing how to still find the opportunities. Yes. Right? And it's still a gold mine, right? I think the long term, I think most people say that real estate's a sure bet. You know what I mean? Especially the long term. So start young, buy as much. Do you uh, invest in stocks or anything like that? I do. I you do. do? I do invest in stocks. I. That's kind of a roller coaster as well. But okay. You know, but. You know, stocks are not not a, a not a bad investment long mm-hmm. ter- long term. I think you just gotta you know safe safe and steady wins the yeah. race. Do you so when you set up your corporation, like do you pay yourself a dividend or it's just kind of like do you give yourself a salary? I, I have to give myself a salary because it's an LLC, but we uh, my attorney files it also as an S corp, so I do have to pay myself a salary. Ah, okay. I can pay myself as much as I want or as little as I want. So well, then you have to pay taxes on it. Either way, yeah, exactly. But no, it, it's it's uh, what do you call it? A tax, uh, the write offs, write offs, and, and all that. Yeah. All the tax benefits and stuff. Are you also paying yourself like insurance and social security and all those things yes. as well? Yep. Okay, so you really have it all set up, and that's actually really great too because it's like it's a business. It's, it is a business. It's yeah. truly a business, and this is all you do, right? Is investing and. Pretty much. I, I also do remodel jobs for other people. So I do take on other projects. Okay. So the way I do it is when I don't have properties that I'm currently working on, whether I'm waiting for closing, whether I'm waiting for to find a house, I'll do work. I, I like big projects for other people. Okay. So I do it. All right. So if you're looking for a contractor and he's available, do you have a website? or? I don't your- have a website, but... I'm sure you can share my yes, contact. Contact me. You could actually look at the show notes and I'll have links below for uh, anything we can share. And links. we can give you a couple of addresses of all the work I've done for my own property yeah. and for other people. Honestly, I've never had a dissatisfied customer or client. To That's be honest good. with you, yeah. you know, well, I mean, you've been doing this since you're 21. I'm not sure how old you are. You don't have to say. <laughs> um, however, I mean, I've seen your work and you do things with integrity. You do things well. And so if you're looking for a good contractor, you know, Daniel Salgado right here and just reach out to me or, you know, click on the show notes and I can uh, set you guys up. Definitely. Yeah. So this has been amazing. Um, thank you so much for being a part of the Showcase Crowd podcast. This is great. Um, Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Showcase Chicago Podcast. If I can support you with your real estate needs, you can search Showcase Chicago or Michael Reyes on all social media platforms or go to www.showcase-chicago.com. Until next time, continue to live your best life. I'm Michael Reyes with Airy Partners. Thanks for listening.